a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. and welcome to the Menopause and Cancer podcast. I'm giddy with excitement. This is our first episode and I can't wait to introduce you to the amazing Dr. Anis Mukherjee. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I bring lots of guests in like our expert of today and I can't wait to explore all the different issues with you. One of the questions I get asked the most is what are my non-hormonal medical options in managing my menopause after a cancer diagnosis? And that's exactly what Anis is here to do with us today. Anis is one of the UK's top endocrinologists with over three decades of experience. But Anis herself is a breast cancer survivor and shares her own experience of cancer and also early menopause really beautifully. And so I really can't thank her enough to be coming on to this first podcast episode with me today. We'll look at the role of antidepressants, the use of vaginal estrogens and moisturizers. We'll look at medical treatments for isolated symptoms like bladder symptoms, hot flushes. We'll look at night sweats, migraines, but we'll also touch on natural treatments and also the lack of research and the benefits of some of those. And at the very end, Annie shares with us a super exciting new non-hormonal treatment that is going to be licensed as early as 2023, which could become a game changer for so many of us. Annie gives so much hope and insight into the long-term treatment of menopause after cancer. I am super excited to introduce her to you today. Hello, Annie. Hello, hello, Danny. Welcome, welcome. Anis, you are the brilliant author of this book. And look how heavily used it is. I reference it all the time. It's called The Complete Guide to the Menopause. Dr. Anis Mukherjee, you are also an endocrinologist, a breast cancer survivor yourself. And what I love about you, you've got about 30 years of experience under your belt with your professional experience, but you're weaving your personal experience so beautifully when we talk about hormonal health post-cancer and when we talk about the menopause and that is always really refreshing so thank you for being so open about it oh my pleasure I just it's good to it's good to share experiences I think it you know problems shared are problems halved as we always say so yeah yeah Yeah. and so when I was looking through your book when I was listening to you speak what I like about you you're very methodical in how we help women and All the women we're talking to today, they have got a history of cancer, not necessarily breast cancer, but it's very common. And there is a history of cancer. And then suddenly we find ourselves in menopause, whether that is temporary or whether that is permanent. So when I was going through chemo and my period stopped, I never thought I was in menopause. That's how little information and education I've had. I'm gobsmacked today. I didn't know. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing how little... You're told, and I think it's because oncologists and and, and medical doctors treating cancer are so successful at at curing women now that they're not thinking about the consequences, the the hormone effects, the other effects of the cancer treatment. They're just so focused on cure, which is brilliant, but now women are getting, it matters. These things really matter long-term to women's health and well-being. Yeah, so tell me a little bit, who do you see in your practice what when you see women in menopause after cancer 
what happens? They come to you. you what, what do you do as an endocrinologist? And what is the difference to a menopause specialist? Because there is quite a big difference. There is. So I'm a hormone specialist, which is the endocrinologist bit, as opposed to a menopause specialist. A lot of GPs can do a diploma that makes them what we call a menopause specialist. But that's a relatively short period of training. Now, it's not that short. It's probably, you know, several months to into years with with the clinics they've got to attend and, and learn from. So it is a good training in menopause. But it's just my, my training lasts decades rather than months or a, a year or two. So it's it's very, very in-depth. And so the patients I see in my clinics are, it's very diverse what I do. It's everything to do with hormones. And people think hormones just means estrogen and menopause, but there's brain hormones, there's thyroid hormones, there's adrenal hormones. Yes, there's gonadal hormones in men and women. And for women, hormone health changes from puberty all the way through adult life, pregnancy, menopause. So I see a really diverse set of problems. And I've had an interest over many years before I got cancer myself in what we call late endocrine effects of cancer therapy. And that's what you're talking about. It's the you have your cancer treatment and then there are hormone consequences and it's not just menopause. I mean, men can get hormone consequences of cancer treatment and the hormone consequences of cancer treatment can affect the thyroid gland, the pituitary gland, the adrenal glands. They can affect several different hormone glands. So it's really, really quite diverse. So how a patient would get to me would often be through another specialist, um, an oncologist. So in, in terms of my cancer patients, often it's the breast oncologist or other oncologists that refer patients to me from a local cancer hospital and Lots of other specialists will refer patients to me. I, I, I am obviously I've been in this this field for a long time. So a lot of GPs know me. So if GPs know me, they will refer patients to me. But because I'm known very, very widely and I get so many different referrals, my waiting list gets quite long. But yeah, so it's 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 lots of different ways. So a menopause specialist would be a, perhaps a GP who has just specialized in menopause in recent years and they yes. will only see menopause whereas I see a more wider group. Yes. And now tell me a little bit, if you don't mind me asking, how many years ago is it that you found your lump? Well, it was, it was, I can tell you exactly when it was. It was, it was the 21st of June, 2011, because it was the longest day and I'll never forget the day and I'll never forget the year. But the the 21st of June is the summer solstice. It's the longest day. And I always said it was really the longest day for me because obviously once I found the lump, I knew this was going to be a game changer in my life. Yeah. And what sort of breast cancer did you have? Because when we talk about managing menopause in after breast cancer, there is a big difference of what we can do, what our treatments options are. We're all so different. And actually, you say it in your book. I'm going to read this because I love this. Dr. Mukherjee prides herself on managing her patients in a holistic and innovative way. She always stresses that every single woman's menopause is different and individual and requires individual solutions. And that something that I just love about you because you look at someone holistically don't you so what was your cancer so I had a ductal carcinoma so there's different types there's lobular and ductal and there's you know there's there's all different types of 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 of, you know the cells that are produced and even so some of those will be estrogen positive some will be negative and mine was a ductal carcinoma it was estrogen receptor positive progesterone receptor positive um, I actually had two separate cancers that were found at the same time in the same breast so it was a bit unusual in that way so I had to have at that time I don't know if it would be the same now because treatments changing all the time but I had to have quite extensive treatment I had to have an auxiliary node clearance which is all my lymph nodes removed because they said they couldn't do the the sentinel node which most women would have they'd have one uh, the same same for me actually and you know ever since then I've struggled with a lymphedema which is very annoying oh have you yeah so, so, my, yeah. mm. so, well, I mean, I was so lucky that I did not touch right. wood get lymphedema, but I mean, I was, uh, you know, my surgeon said, you're not going to get lymphedema. I am not going to let you have it because she was a, a consultant work colleague of mine. And I had a female breast surgeon, which was which was pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had that and um, I, two lumps, I think 0.8 and 1.2 centimetres, the two of them. So they weren't 
they weren't very, very big. I think I found it early. And again, you'll have seen many and, and your audience will have seen many campaigns on the TV saying, examine your breast, check your breast, because if you find a cancer early, it's much, much better. You know, you're more likely to catch it before it's spread to the lymph nodes and things. So um, I think I must have caught it early. And then so it, when I had my surgery, that had really good clearance and it was it was like they were grade one cancers which is actually quite unusual so you can get grade one grade two grade three which is the the aggressiveness so mine was a, we called it a lazy cancer because it was it was a, a, a slow growing but it was my worry that slow growing often means it's been there for a lot longer and therefore they can still spread but they don't come back for a long time so you know even whatever type you've got you've still got that sort of you know ongoing concern about about it coming and, back and whatever type you have it's a life shock and I think those life shocks sometimes come out many years later and I think a lot of women I speak I wonder whether we're not just dealing with the symptoms of the menopause in that moment whether we're also dealing with the aftermath of their life shocks of what's happened to them on that one particular day and the months to follow Absolutely. Um, did, you, did you go on hormone treatment um for your cancer after surgery and after the active cancer treatment was finished? Yeah, so I had the radical surgery. And then when I saw my oncologist, they said, we don't think you need chemotherapy. So, you know, they do all the statistics and they work out everything. And they said, you don't need anything. You just need tamoxifen. And I was 41. My kids were really young, I think 11 and seven at the time. And I, I, I didn't feel comfortable about just going on tamoxifen. It didn't seem right to me. And I was, as an endocrinologist, I, I thought I can deal, I can deal with menopause. I think I should, at that time, you know, people, nobody was talking about menopause in 2011, but I'd known about menopause myself. I was managing my own patients. I'd managed many women after breast cancer. I'd looked after many women who'd had breast cancer recurrences because they weren't, they weren't able to access the more stronger treatments, you know, over, over many years. My first job in breast oncology was my first ever job in when I qualified as a doctor which was at Christie Hospital in 1992 to 93 so it was a really really long time ago and so I saw a time when women didn't survive breast cancer you know most women didn't survive then it's changed so much so I I think I was probably you know I really wanted belt and braces I did not want to risk any chance of it coming back or I wanted to do everything possible I could to stop it so I spoke to my team and they said well we don't think you should have chemotherapy because the chemotherapy for stage stage one basically breast cancer the risks of the chemo probably outweigh the benefits so they said but actually in in grade one cancer when they when you do get benefits it's more through the, the the effect of chemo on causing menopause you know inducing menopause by damaging the ovaries so they said, you, you know, we would then recommend, um, uh, well, it's sort of blo blocking a chemical menopause with, with injection. Yeah. So I had, I had a, a chemical menopause induced. So it was an overnight menopause because I had the injections that lasted. I think I had them every month. And then, then I went on to the three monthly over a few years until I was in established, you know, until my, my own hormones had given up altogether. Yeah. So I had injections. So, yeah, and that was interesting. It was very interesting experiment for me because, you know, I was actually going through what I'd seen all my patients go through. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very odd, isn't it? To suddenly be on the other side as well. And I'm going to ask you the question, although I think I know the answer. I think probably a lot of ladies listening to this know the answer. You did not go on hormone replacement therapy, right? Because no. when you're on the something like, so, so explain us, so the whole idea was to reduce the estrogen going to your breast tissue or the estrogen in your body or how, what, what was the purpose? So, yeah, I mean, um, some women get the chemical menopause in other contexts, like for endometriosis or before they have surgery. So they'd get the, the chemical menopause, but they'd be given some low level hormones back. But for, for this context, and, and this is quite widely used actually in certain, you know, there's obviously, as we know, all breast cancers are different treatments are, are tailored to individuals and so lots of women are given the chemical blockers to, to block their hormones but this is to induce the idea is to put you into a full-blown menopause but you don't get your hormones given back it's just yeah. menopause so zero estrogen so yeah I did not have any 
any estrogen given back to me it was just the chemical menopause and then I was on the tamoxifen as well so yeah no no hormones at all and for me I felt empowered by being in menopause. I know it sounds crazy, but I thought this is what I want. I want to have no hormones. If I have a hot flush, it means my estrogen is low. And it means that any cancer cells that are sitting lurking there, which unfortunately with breast cancer, that can happen, which is why it's unusual. Most cancers, if if you survive five years, you're cured. Whereas with breast cancer, it's just not like that. The, the breast cancers can hide, which is why we give the adjuvant therapies, the tamoxifen, the aromatase inhibitors for many years, because those, not just for fun, you know, these treatments are, are there to save lives because those breast cancer cells can hide. Even yeah. if, if you, the, 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 the visible cancer has been removed, the breast cancer cells can lurk. So for me, having being emotional, having hot flushes, not being able to sleep, I knew that meant uh, my estrogen was low and that was wanted. <laughs> and I was, it almost sounds it almost sounds mad, doesn't it? But, I it, know, but it, that change in mindset that can be really helpful in that situation. Well, I, I I understood. I understood every symptom. And I think that's why I, I do what I do on social media and it with my book, because if every woman understood what I understand about the long term, about the short term, about the symptoms they would be much less fearful and their, their symptom burden would be less. I'm absolutely sure of it. And I yeah. think it, it, and what you, the things that you do that help small tweaks, understanding makes such a huge difference, but I would yeah. lie there at night. So in the, I was off work for four months and I would lie there at night watching TV and just thinking it's okay. I've got, I can't sleep because my estrogen's low. I'll just watch TV all night <laughs> because I couldn't sleep. And, and, and I'm an insomniac anyway. So that was always going to be one of my, you know, my major menopause symptoms. Yeah. Because if yeah. you've had aches and pains all your life, they may be worse when you go into the menopause. If you've yeah. been an insomniac, that, that might be worse. So if you've always carried excess weight, you may gain more weight when you go into menopause. Right. That is a theme, right. your general weakness. And, and as I said, every woman is different. So right. I didn't have weight gain particularly. I had insomnia, but that's me <laughs> from, yeah. from as long as I can remember. Yeah. And the rest of your menopause journey was very positive. And I don't want to talk about it because I know so many women are struggling with their menopause journey. And it's a real passion of mine to bring those two contrasting experiences together a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? And just find common ground and really learn. One of the things that always comes up when I speak to the ladies in my group is they almost feel a little bit put out by the idea that they can't have HRT. So there's a real chat going that they feel that everything would be so much better if they could just have HRT or if their menopause symptoms would just be gone overnight. And when I had my treatment plan after um, my surgery, chemo and radiotherapy, I was not offered tamoxifen or Zodalex or anything like this because my breast cancer was a triple negative. And so some ladies watching this might resonate. So hormone treatment like tamoxifen isn't beneficial. In the early days, I felt really deprived of another chance to increase my chances of a longer life. And I know this is the same feeling women often have. You know, there's so much chat about the menopause at the moment. And so many women say flippantly, oh, you just need to go on HRT. But once you're in that post-cancer, you know, breast cancer camp, it's not as simple. And I've got this old thing here that I often use I say it's so easy when you can just say HRT would take all of your symptoms away and you're done it's not that easy we just need to look at breaking it down a little bit don't we and your approach is so methodical so what is so for example I'm going to just go through some options here say we've got a lady who said I've never had anxiety and I'm riddled with anxiety my practice nurse has suggested antidepressants but I don't want to go down that route because everything I'm reading says antidepressants aren't a good treatment for menopausal symptoms so if we've got a main symptom how do we go about it and if we have loads of symptoms how do we go about it the first thing I want to say Danny because you've introduced that really nicely and I will answer that question yes one of the reasons I am so empowered is because I see so many women in my clinics not just women who've survived cancer but women with very difficult menopause symptoms at all different situations 
women who've got no risk factors for HRT, perhaps, who are on HRT, who have tried different types of HRT. And what I've seen over decades, and it's not changed with the more modern forms of HRT, is that HRT is not the be all and end all of menopause symptoms. So it's not like if you take HRT, all your symptoms disappear. And I see many women who are taking HRT, I've given them, I may give them, you know, I give lots of women, if they can take it safely, HRT, and and then they come back and they say, but I've still got symptoms, I still don't feel right. And that's very common with underlying anxiety. So if somebody comes to me with anxiety, I've just been dealing with emails again today on a patient who has severe anxiety, she had anxiety before, that was her, one of her main symptoms, and she's gone on HRT and it hasn't helped. So The point of mentioning that is because what you said is exactly right. Women who go through breast cancer and they're having difficult menopause symptoms, perhaps anxiety, aches and pains or sweats, and they think it's not fair because if I could have HRT, everything would be sorted out. And it isn't isn't as straightforward as that at all. And, you know, I've managed my symptoms without HRT and probably more effectively than many women who are on HRT. And that's because actually women who go on HRT rely on it and they don't do all the other things that can help them empower themselves and actually improve their long-term health. Whereas whether or not you take HRT, whether it's safe for you or it's not safe for you, it's not the be all and end all. It can sometimes help. It's very good for hot sweats and flushes. It, it can sometimes help with anxiety, but I see many women with anxiety who are on HRT. It doesn't it doesn't take away the anxiety. Okay. It doesn't always take away the insomnia at all because it's insomnia is multifactorial. It certainly isn't common it, that it suddenly makes you lose weight if you've gained weight. So it's really important for, for your audience here to understand that actually, although they might think HRT might be a miracle cure, it just isn't. I've, I've been doing this for so long and it That's really true. isn't. And it, it has a role in certain situations, but it doesn't work in isolation. It will only work if you utilize the other approaches, the lifestyle approaches that I'm going to talk about. And, you know, there are other medications that can be used, which is what you've just asked about. So let me go to answer your question. So with anxiety in particular, women today have a burden of chronic stress. It is, it is across the board. I mean, everyone today has more stress because we're all more connected. We live 24 seven lifestyles. The demands on midlife women and younger women are, are huge social media, caring for relatives, work roles. I mean, employment is a huge thing. And many of many women going through cancer treatment will be, you know, still in work or are off sick and waiting to know when they can go back to work. I see lots of patients in my clinics like that. So this, the chronic stress in the background also contributes to that, the symptoms of anxiety, because your stress response is, is dysregulated. So there are things that you can do for yourself that will help that. With regard to the medications, the antidepressants, antidepressants get a bad rap. And you know why? Because mental health is still a stigma. We don't use antidepressants for women who are going through menopause symptoms who can't have HRT. We don't use it because we think they're depressed. We don't use it as doctors. We don't prescribe it because we think it's all in in the mind. The symptoms are all in the mind. We use it because there is... There is good evidence from research studies that very low dose antidepressants, um, because it's not always a a depression dose, it's actually usually a much lower dose, can can help with sweats, sleep and mood. Specifically, these are specific symptoms that are linked with with menopause, mood, anxiety, irritability, sleep, fatigue, you know, the, and, and hot sweats. So the treatments, the antidepressants that are used, they're not being used because the doctor thinks, oh, they've got a mental health issue. And by the way, if you have got, there are mental health symptoms in menopause, and we shouldn't be saying that antidepressants are bad. We, you know, if, if you can have hormone therapy safely, and you've got menopause symptoms, then you would use that first line. But if you can't have it safely, because you've got estrogen receptor positive cancer, which means that HRT will double your likelihood of recurrence, which would be ste- which would likely be stage four disease, metastatic, incurable. So this is significant. If you can't have HRT safely, then using a medication that's an antidepressant 
is actually reasonable to try. And if it doesn't agree with you, there are different ones. But I don't think we should be just thinking antidepressant stigma, mental health is awful. I, I don't want to be considered as having a mental health problem because that's that we're trying to move away from that. If you look at everything to do with mental health. So and actually we're not using it specifically as an antidepressant. We're using it for its effects on neural pathways that help with a number of other symptoms. So it's so interesting. I think one of the things I today wish, you know, hindsight is a beautiful thing, isn't it? I wish one of my healthcare professionals in the early two or three years post my primary first diagnosis yeah. would have had the conversation with me of some medication for my anxiety because yeah. it has stopped me in my tracks. It really, really reduced the quality of my life. And I did yoga and I changed my diet and I had counselors and I went to hypnotherapy. <laughs> I did loads, but my anxiety almost riddled me in every single one of my steps. And I, today I wish I would have had like you say, a, a late antidepressant who could have helped me through perhaps a year or two. Well, that's it. And I've got some relatives, I've got a few relatives, actually, not not with um, with breast cancer or any type of cancer, but younger adults and females who've had severe anxiety. And, you know, I've not been their doctor because I've been sort of it's a fa family member, but to have gone through the journey with them and we've tried everything. And what we've always what I always talk about with anxiety is what you need are all those approaches that you've just talked about. You need those for the long-term management to manage it in the long-term. But when you are being crippled by anxiety in the short-term, whether that's due to a major life event or you know whatever's triggered it, a cancer diagnosis or, or other things, you need the support in the here and now because yeah. all of those approaches that you've said are brilliant for the long-term, but they don't fix the problem in the here and now. And yeah. so, yeah, it, it's true. Doctors just hand out a prescription. They don't explain it. A woman looks, thinks it's an antidepressant, thinks her doctor's not listening to her. And actually they're, they're doing it because the, the evidence is there, but they're not yeah. explaining that, that, that there's a missing link. And it's, you know, information is power. It, that's easy. Everybody talks about that, but it's a real missing link in lots of aspects of medicine and, and healthcare. Yeah. And it's, a really brazen missing link in cancer care. Yeah, and I think it's the after cancer care, isn't it? That is really, they've gone much better in helping us survive longer and our statistics yeah. are better than ever, but it's how we survive that we and we need to become really passionate about because so many more of us survive yeah. for so much longer. We need to really address how we do this. Yeah. Medical treatments, because you've mentioned it, we've, we're starting with medical yeah. treatments. We're going to build up a little roadmap yes you've mentioned antidepressants and I think from what I take from you is to really look at it and discuss it with your healthcare professional and don't dismiss it immediately there are so many different ones in the past I've heard you speak about a couple that you like to use or do you have one that you have best results with with your ladies I mean, there's different ones. And it, again, I'll go back to saying it. And you you, you liked my, this, this description. So I don't apologize for it. Everyone is different. Everyone yeah. is different. So if somebody has mild anxiety with mild low mood, my and which is common, you know, yeah. most women will have, it's troublesome, mild, but not mild enough to ignore, you know, it's there. Yeah. One that I like is citalopram, which is a very mild antidepressant, really easy to come off. I use it in lots of my patients who've got complex health issues where the health issue gets them down. And so I use the citalopram while they're going through the sort of the, 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 the key part of their treatments. And then when they're feeling better, we can come off it. And it's it's not very addictive, if you know what I mean. You, some of the antidepressants are easier to come off. When, right. than others specifically for menopause there's the the best research data is on a drug called venlafaxine mm -hmm. venlafaxine has good research data because it's very good for hot sweats so if you've got really severe hot sweats night sweats that are affecting sleep that you've got low mood and anxiety venlafaxine can be very good right yeah. it, it's a slight it, use venlafaxine in a tiny dose for for those symptoms so in for a, as an antidepressant dose, you might use 75 or 150 milligrams a day 
for the menopause dose, it would be 37.5. Oh, I had no idea all of these differences. Yes. Really yeah. low dose. But venovaxine can sometimes in the first couple of weeks of treatment, what make you feel a little bit zoned out. Mm -hmm. I, I, I call it zombified that, you know, like, you know, you feel a bit spaced out. And that puts a lot of women off. So they start it after three days, they feel a little bit spaced out and they think, I don't want this. But actually, yeah. if you persevere and you understand that that symptom is going to settle yeah. down and you'll get the benefits after that symptom settles down, then again, a lot more women will understand and persevere with it. Whereas I see lots of women who say, no, I tried that. I took it for two days and it didn't work. It, it you know, caused side effects. So understanding how the side effects will be is important. It's the education again. If someone explains to you, you have much more trust in, in, in the preparation that you're taking, isn't it? If it's just prescribed to you, you really don't know what, what's going on. It's very difficult to have trust and, and faith in the process. Definitely. And citalopram and venlafaxine are both safe if you're taking tamoxifen. Mm -hmm. um, there are other antidepressants, but some of them can't be used with tamoxifen because there's an enzyme in the liver that can be in, in, impeded. So mm -hmm. it will stop the tamoxifen working. So things like fluoxetine, which is a really popular antidepressant, and you can use it in low dose to help with anxiety and mood and, and energy, that can't be used uh, with with certain um adjuvant treatments so how brilliant to know because if someone wanted to have the conversation about uh, um an antidepressant post breast cancer you can say is this contradicting with any of my treatments just the knowledge that yeah. some do and some don't is brilliant to have because it's we're a step ahead aren't we now exactly yeah so that one's really important um so there some of the antidepressants there are some other antidepressants the snris again i don't think they are okay with the tamoxifen but sertraline is a very strong an antidepressant very good for anxiety very good for OCD mm -hmm. so if you've got sort of like if you've got those intrusive thoughts and, and OCD behaviors we're all different you know some women yeah. have those where um, the, the sertraline is good for that uh, duloxetine is an antidepressant with effects on appetite so it kind of suppresses appetite and it reduces pain so if I've got a patient who has got severe pain perhaps they're on an aromatase inhibitor and they've got aches and pains and they don't want you know don't want to move because they're aching yeah. and they're carrying excess weight duloxetine can be a really good one because it helps with pain management and it, it suppresses your appetite so it actually helps with with weight management so there's different there's wow. lots of different types yeah which um finding the one that fits you know if you if you're really skinny and and you know you take duloxetine you, you, you lose weight you, you don't want that but it, but so it, it all depends on the individual so there's quite a few different antidepressant type medications that i'll use in different situations but there are other medications yeah. that can help yeah. And so what other medical treatments, interventions can we have? What about um, vaginal treatments like pessaries or yeah. anything for vaginal atrophy? Well, what is there? Yeah. So for vaginal symptoms, if you've got if you've been put into a, a, a menopause, the first thing we would normally recommend would be the non-hormone uh, moisturizers and lubricants. So there's a replens vaginal moisturizer. These generally for they can be prescribed on a, a, an NHS prescription, but some GPs won't do NHS prescriptions. You can buy them over the counter, but they're a bit more expensive. Okay. But, but Replens is a long acting vaginal moisturizer. So it keeps your vaginal lining healthy all the time, as it were. So that will hopefully minimize things like itching, soreness, dryness. And then you can use lubricants. And what women shouldn't use is just one of the mass market lubricants like KY jelly, because they're full of chemicals. And if you've got sensitive, you know, lining in there. Those... Are you saying strawberry flavoured lubes aren't any good? <laughs> <laughs> so there's quite a lot that are specifically made for the menopause market. And that's because they've got much gentler sort of um, constituents. So, you know, they're more like they're a lubricant but they're not going to irritate mm -hmm. so things like silk and um yes and then uh vagicil and they're all i mean i've we, when we go to conferences we get samples for all of them and they're all slightly different some of them are more liquidy and some of them are, are actually more thicker thicker mm -hmm. and in fact 
every woman will prefer something different. Some women will prefer the ones that are really liquidy, that are gentle, and some women will prefer thicker ones. So you, what I recommend is trying different ones and finding what works for you, really. Um, but they make enough of a difference? They, they can make enough of a difference in different women. So you do hear on the internet and on social media, the real worst case scenarios of vaginal symptoms in many women, even women who are on yeah. HMT, and actually, there's a real spectrum some women don't get very bad vaginal symptoms and some women get really severe vaginal symptoms and so the vaginal moisturizers and lubricants are actually fine for some women some women will really still have major symptoms down there as well and then for most women using estrogen pessaries or vaginal estrogen cream for most women, of course, of that is considered safe. In fact, I was I had I gave a lecture to Greater Manchester Cancer recently with a, a very good breast oncologist who I work with. Mm-hmm. He was saying he tends to prefer the obviously the, the cream rather than the Vagifem pessaries because of the effects on the alpha and beta receptors for estrogen. It's all very complicated. Wow. But he, the creams are a sort of effectively lower dose and safer in terms of the receptors that estrogen receptors that they work on rather than the the vagifem so the the creams are good but generally speaking a course of that you'd ideally not want to take it long term for women who haven't had breast cancer who estrogen receptor positive breast cancer specifically because that's that's the issue for, for, for other women who are in menopause, who are on HRT, who have vaginal symptoms, we, we often say, you know, you can take the vaginal treatments long term. If you've had estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, you we usually give a course of the estrogen and then try and use the, the non-hormone right. uh, treatments uh, where possible um, yes. in between so that you're minimizing your exposure to any estrogen. But the data are very favorable. Certainly women who are on tamoxifen, there appears to be no risk with vaginal estrogen. Mm-hmm. For women who are on aromatase inhibitors, again, I think most people think it's absolutely fine to have a course of estrogen, but some data to suggest if you take it for a long time, there might be some concern. With everything, it's all about balancing. Yes. Benefits. Somebody asked me about alcohol the other day. They said, you know, is alcohol bad? And, you know, the problem is that it's a very social thing. And if you're, if you're doing everything else that you possibly can to minimize your recurrence risk, and then you have a glass of wine now and again, you know, I think we have to live as well. Yeah. We have to take a view on, it's all about balance. So yeah. if you're really struggling with vaginal symptoms, I think a course of vaginal estrogen is, is yeah. definitely absolutely fine. So yeah, absolutely. And actually, I spoke to a lady the other day who said she had so many recurring urinary tract infections. And and what really helped her were the pessaries, a cause of uh, vaginal estrogen. And that really helped her. And and, and I think then she's on supplements and that sort of stopped them recurring. And that's just what she needed to do. Exactly. To break that cycle. So that's really important. But there are other systemic treatments that you can use that aren't antidepressants for certain menopausal symptoms, depending on individuals. So I might see a woman who can't have HRT because she's had estrogen positive breast cancer and her main symptom may be incontinence. So with the the down below symptoms, with the vaginal atrophy can also come incontinence. Now, things like yoga and core stability and pelvic floor exercises done correctly, and I'm not an expert in that specific field but but they can definitely help with incontinence and obviously gynecologists can sometimes advise if there's prolapse so if there's incontinence those things need to be addressed but I often see women who've seen 10 other specialists and they come to the specialists say oh we've tried everything go and see Dr Mukherjee that's that's what people say so I I might see a woman who's got those symptoms and she's going to the loo to pass urine all of the time because she's worried about you know leakage and that can become a habit. And sometimes women who do that, they're passing lots of, they're they're going to the loo a lot, but passing small amounts of urine, they will often not drink enough water because they don't want to leak. Yeah, of course. And then the dehydration can cause fatigue and then dehydration will also increase the likelihood of water infections. 
Yeah. So, and, and if you've got vaginal atrophy, you're more at risk of getting an infection. So actually a lot of the things that you do to try and, oh, yeah, exactly. It's a vicious cycle. So there's a medication called oxybutynin and there are other medications that are specific. They're not antidepressants. They're specifically for bladder stability, but that group of medications they stabilize the bladder, they allow the bladder to relax so that you can hold more urine in before you go to the loo. So you're not getting up five times a night waking up, you know, but um, those medications also reduce sweating. It's just like an effect. They 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 ha- they re- relax the bladder and they reduce sweating. So, wow. of course, they're not going to cure all the other. They're not going to help anxiety, for example. They're not going to help aches and pains. But some women who have menopausal symptoms, their main symptoms will be can't sleep because they're going to the loo all night and they've got bladder problems. So a medication to treat the bladder problems and then they're not waking up at night. So they're not having the hot sweats and, and the sweats yeah. are limited. That can be a really good fit for some women, mm-hmm. not everyone. And they can have side effects because they can make your eyes a little bit dry and they can sometimes cause a little bit of dizziness. Again, with those symptoms, they usually wear off after a couple of weeks, the side effects. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So there's a medication for that. And then another medication that I use commonly is a drug called clonidine. And that is one I use more for my older patients who have severe hot sweats and flushes. I think we forget about hot sweats and flushes. It is a major symptom, actually, for uh, in in menopause for cancer survivors who are going into menopause, but also sometimes for older women in their 60s they say I never have had HRT and I'm just fed up with the sweats yeah they they might not have you know cancer or anything like that but they might have other conditions that make HRT less safe in older women like very high blood pressure or blood vessel disease because in older women with blood vessel disease HRT can actually be it can actually worsen it Um, okay HRT is very beneficial for younger blood vessels that are healthy and it's damaging for older damaged blood vessels. It's got this this dichotomous effect. So in that context, there's a medication called clonidine, which is brilliant for hot sweats. Mm -hmm. The biggest side effect is it lowers blood pressure. It's actually a blood pressure medication. Quite a good side effect if you have high blood pressure. (laughs) If you have high blood pressure and you've got, if you've got hot sweats, it's a perfect one to try. But if you're a young woman who's got low blood pressure, it would probably make you faint. So, you know, and actually clonidine also is really good for headaches. So some women in menopause, some women, headaches is a weakness, you know, migraine and headaches. So if I see a woman who's got headaches, they've got high blood pressure, they've got sweats, I may consider using clonidine. So it's it's there's there's quite a few different medications, non-hormone medications, but it's about tailoring to the individual as to what would be best. And not everyone needs really medication. Hope, really hopeful though, because it just tells us that we have options as well. <laughs> because yeah. I think that overwhelming feeling is, well, I'm terrible. My menopause symptoms are terrible. And post-cancer, there's nothing I can do. That is awful when you feel like that. And just by opening our toolbox is fantastic. Yeah. And many menopause symptoms. And I think this is something that isn't talked about very much today. Many me- menopause symptoms, whether it's because you've had menopause induced by cancer treatment or natural menopause, the symptoms are usually time limited, which means that over a number of years, they settle down. Whereas I think people today are saying, oh, well, once you've gone into menopause, you have to, you know, your treatment needs to be forever, but it, it doesn't actually have to be. So you might need antidepressants, you know, for anxiety for like a year and you're using your other toolkit, you know, lifestyle measures and then you don't need them anymore. And I see many women who come off treatment because it, it, they, it's done their, its job. It's helped get everything back on track. It's facilitated that woman to, to apply all the things she can Other. do herself and then it's not needed anymore. So that's, I think, that's also really important. And the uh, one more medication. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. The medication, you're probably going to have to do this in two parts for your audience. <laughs> so I've got to get through so much, but there's a really, really exciting new treatment, which I have talked about a little bit on my social media. And it's a neurokinin B receptor antagonist, which sounds about like a very long term, but it's a, it's a, it's a non-hormone treatment it's actually a neuro it's it's a blocker of a of a brain neurotransmitter and the the drug that's being that's in development that's probably going to be licensed either the end of this year or in 2023 
is called fezolinotant. And wow. it, it's, a, it's a neurokine and B receptor antagonist. It's targeting the actual hot flush mechanism that causes hot flushes in menopause. It comes from the, the temperature regulation center in the hypothalamus within the brain. It, 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 we've searched for, for this mechanism for, for decades and decades and some incredible researchers at Imperial College London wow. found it and create, you know, identified the treatment and did the research and it's, it, it works. Wow. But it, 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 it targets the hot flush mechanism and it works against hot flushes almost as well, pretty much as well as HRT and quicker than HRT does. But it also helps with sleep and mood and energy. And some of the studies suggest it helps with weight loss where weight loss is desired because the wow. So it's a really exciting treatment. And it's only a year away or two years away? It's, or? A, it's like a year. It could be less than a year. But, not, but, but I have to say a but. I have to say a but because this is, this is the annoying bit. They're getting a license first for women who have a natural menopause but not women who are cancer survivors, which is making us all really frustrated because actually it's perfect for women who are having the cause after yes. But they need to be safe, don't they? They need to be safe. So they have to do the initial, because you see what you can imagine is they start it for all women with breast cancer and then somebody gets a breast cancer recurrence, which is nothing to do with it. And then they get, you know, they get cancer over cancel culture. So they will market it amongst all women. And then they, once it's released to the mass market, it will then, the trials then in breast cancer patients will start. And mm -hmm. actually I think breast cancer patients will be able to take it off license. So if they chose to, so it is, it is soon, it's coming soon. And it is everyone like me, all of the, the specialists and endocrinologists throughout the world who've seen the results of these studies it is a, a practice-changing treatment. It's wow. going to be an absolute game-changer for menopause, not just for women with breast cancer, but for all women who wow. you know, have problems with HRT. So it's good. It's really exciting. Really exciting. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us. That's fantastic. We will have another Zoom call in a year or two and we will talk about you using it on your clients. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for that one. That would be really good. Um, I would talk to my ladies about natural treatments because yeah. I know you don't poo-poo them and that's why I wanted to bring them up. Um, when we talk about natural treatments, many ladies try sage, other yeah. herbal medication, even in primrose, um, there's bee pollen. There are other things. The only thing I would say is go for a really good quality product at the high strength and take it consistently because just as you would take any medication for like antidepressants, you have to take them every day for them to work, right? Yes. Uh, the same uh, works for natural treatments. But I like the fact that you're open to those, although you're a medic, because often that is very divided. And, and yeah, because I'm a, I have obviously have an interest in women's health and menopause. So I know about the data. And the problem with natural treatments is there isn't a pharmaceutical company spending millions of pounds demonstrating the results. So actually, they can be very effective, but there isn't the research behind it. So doctors always say, oh, well, there's no research, so I can't prescribe it. But these, these yeah. are natural treatments, they're very safe. So I've got loads of patients who benefit from sage, for example, and there's the, an evening primrose and starflower oil. And there's lots of natural treatments that do work for a, num a number of menopause symptoms. But it's just, it's like with pharmacological treatments, you know, I might give a patient HRT and she may just not be able to tolerate any form of HRT. I might, be, I might give a patient an antidepressant and she can't tolerate any or it doesn't work. And it's the same with natural treatments. You might get side effects. You might, it, it might not work. But exactly what you say is exactly right. You do have to give it a reasonable amount of time. You do have to take it consistently. And many natural treatments yeah. do hold benefits um, for menopausal yeah. symptoms. And, yeah. and what I would always say, if someone is really drawn to it, you know, some of the ladies I speak to, they've never dyed their hair. They only want natural childbirth. They don't wear nail varnish. They, they, they have a very sort of earthy, natural lifestyle. To them, the idea of going on HRT or any other medication is quite alien. So they're much more drawn to natural treatments. And if you're aligned with that, you've got to go for it because it's going to be beneficial, right? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I would also speak about complementary therapies because, yes. again, I know you're really keen on it. We don't need to go into details, but there is good studies, isn't there, for acupuncture, for cognitive behavior therapy, for CBTI, for insomnia. 
mindfulness and yoga, which pleases me so much, we have a lot more evidence. And a lot of it is done on women post-cancer in menopause, actually. So quite a lot of the studies are done on, on that sort of, on that group of ladies. Yeah. And as you say, there's actually, even though I, I guess the funding is not really there, there is a, there, there is a keenness from and especially from medical professionals to find therapies that are you know going to work particularly for women who can't safely have have sort of hormone replacement so all of those as you say have really good good evidence and I think with things like acupuncture and with things like um just even just the relaxation any relaxation technique I talked at the beginning of this about the chronic stress that we're all under and our adrenal glands are meant to have sort of peak hormones in the morning, very low hormones, stress hormones at night. And then the stress hormones peak and trough through the day. So we call it, um, you know, we've got the circadian rhythm and then ultradian rhythm is where it goes up through the day as needed, you know. So doing this Zoom call, you and I will both have slightly higher stress hormone response and then it'll fall afterwards but with chronic stress and particularly if you add major life events on top of that the stress response becomes imbalanced Mm -hmm. and it's difficult for your adrenal glands to switch off so the stress hormones accumulate and that is that is what can trigger the anxiety and a lot of other symptoms like waking up unrefreshed going to bed tired and wired not sleeping having palpitations that's all linked with the stress response so anything that induces deep relaxation is really really helpful you are so inspiring because although you're a medic and you treat women and and all your clients with so much knowledge of using the right medication i know how keen you are on reducing your stress levels and tapping into that lifestyle toolbox, aren't you? And and what really, and I've repeated that to maybe 10 of my friends, Anis, I said, I was trying to get hold of this lady and was trying to pin her down to finally speak to me. And I know she's really hard to get hold of, but she said to me, Danny, I can't do this evening because I need to go out and exercise. Exercising is my HRT. Yeah. And I value that so much because it shows me that you have strict boundaries to look after yourself and I wish we all had stricter boundaries because we want to give so much. We want to be so available. We want to be such a good mummy, such a good daughter, such a good wife. Um, going after our aims at work and suddenly all we do is produce and, and, and care for everyone else. And there's very little self-care time. And that's a stupid word. I don't like it. But that's what you do, right? You can't book yourself in for certain evenings because you need to look after your health and for you it's walking right you're mad you walk <laughs> loads walking absolutely love it <laughs> and I and I do love my gym as my going to sort of exercise yeah and things. yeah it, it is it is really really important and I learn I over and as I said it is three decades that I've been working over and I've always had a job which has been very much sort of front of house direct to patients seeing patients in clinics hearing stories I've learned a lot from my patients and there is actually no substitute from that clinical experience that that I have with my patients you can do clinical research as you say you know you demonstrate drugs that work and you know the, the new drug I mentioned to you that is a really exciting thing but I've seen many patients who've been on every treatment under the sun they've had every investigation under the sun from every specialist they come to me and I go back to basics and I look and I see and I see I, and over the years and decades I've seen themes in women taking on too much but what happens is you take on more and you take on more and you take on more and you never say no but then you can't do what you are trying to do you become inefficient so I'm more efficient actually in what I do and I'm more productive now than I was 10 years ago or before you know before I got my cancer I I do more and as I said the other day to somebody I'm in my house I've got my um, my elderly mum she's living with us at the moment it's a long story and have my brother staying and my kids are home and I'm the most energized person in the house I'm running around looking after everyone and I'm the one with you know but but I'm more productive and but it is because I do have I, I do value the lifestyle approaches that I use they're very very important and it's it's the lifestyle is what with no risk and no side effects makes you feel well 
and protects your long-term health in yeah. every setting. I mean, not just the context of being a cancer survivor, but it, for me, it was almost a gift because I don't know if I hadn't got breast cancer when I did, mm-hmm. I don't know I'd, if I'd be as good as I am now. And I know that sounds really strange and weird, but I re-reflected on everything Mm. in my life. And I thought, right, I need to have a good lifestyle. I need to keep my bones strong because I had an early menopause. So I need to do weight bearing exercise. I need to walk. I need to get daylight to, and, and, and make sure I have, you know, do stress relieving activities. I need my nutrition to be good all of those things, and I, and I work on my sleep. I, I try and have a sleep routine. Yeah. Obviously, I said my, my weakness is sleep. That's the thing that always goes out of the window. Yeah, I'm lucky, and we are all different. So I'm lucky in that I don't suffer generally from anxiety. So some women will have terrible anxiety, but sleep really well. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to sleep, but I don't. I don't get anxiety, which is, I guess, that's just luck of the draw. So, you know, that side of things is is I think that's just we're all different so some people will have other I things heard, I heard you speak the other day and it really sort of hit home because you were talking about the effects of exercise on reducing our risks of a recurrence yeah. and in yeah. a way it's almost like we choose to go on tamoxifen no one is made to go on tamoxifen or zodelex or aromatose inhibitors this is a choice we make for our long-term treatment and our survival rates right that's why we're on it Tell me about the effects of exercise on our survival rates. They're huge, right? It's unbelievable. Yeah. The the reduction, there was a study published just last year. In fact, it was the beginning of 2021. And I think the early publication was in 2020. So it's relatively recent, but it's reproduced the data that we know about is that 150 minutes of moderate intensity. So you have to get a little bit out of breath. So that that might just be a, a brisk walk ideally some sort of weight-bearing exercise but I mean I consider walking as a weight-bearing exercise anyway but if you can do things like gym exercises with weights that's great but if you can do 150 minutes it's less than it's less than 30 minutes a day of of getting a little bit out of breath this the, the data is on women before they've had breast cancer and then after they've had breast cancer it reduces women who do that it reduces the risk of recurrence by 55%. Wow. Wow. Right. It's, it's really a no brainer. This needs to be So, and I, I talk, you probably know, Danny, also that I talk about, I talk about micro dosing on yeah. your lifestyle changes, because I know that you will have people watching this and they'll go, are you kidding me? I ache all over and I am exhausted. Don't say this. And what I say is five minutes, walk instead of five minutes on social media five minutes walk start with the tiniest amount if if it's a struggle don't make it a struggle because you need to do something that you can sustain every day in order for it to work for you in the long term so Mm -hmm. tiny amounts and build up and I remember when I'd had my surgery and I had the the arm problems and I was doing my exercises for to prevent the lymphedema but my I couldn't move my I mean it was my left arm and I'm left-handed so it was it was a big thing for me I thought if I you know so I did all my exercises but I couldn't do very much but what I could do was walk yeah and so I just did little tiny walks every day even if it was a tiny amount really early after my surgery I'd go out and, and walk I'd be with somebody initially obviously because I was still recovering but and I just built it up really, really slowly. And I do loads now, absolutely loads, but it's 10 years later. But I, yeah. I built it up really slowly because I don't, I, if I'd have tried to do something that was too much, I know I would have just thought, I hate this, I'm not doing it. So yeah. the exercise is really important. If women think, oh gosh, that's such a lot, I can't mm. possibly do that. Think about doing a tiny amount and see what that might end up being over over months and years because you can build up and it, it is huge the benefit of of of, of exercise in in reducing yeah. and I actually overheard your chat to Liz the other day on Instagram which was brilliant and she's such a brilliant surgeon mm-hmm. and she said I need to email her actually I need to put her right she said yoga is not a form of strength exercise no, I, I think it hasn't been to many yoga classes because when I have my ladies in planks <laughs> Yeah. You know, they have pressure on their wrists and feet and, and legs, but their standing poses is just fantastic. 
And so I will have to explain to her in detail one day because I was going at home. <laughs> I have to agree with you. And she was in a flow and I didn't get the chance to say anything. Oh, no, I know, I know. But I would totally agree with you. Yoga is a brilliant form of weight bearing exercise. And it's also got the built in relaxation. I think I might have got that bit in at the end of when she was talking because yeah, 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 well, yeah. I totally agree with you. It's true. Uh, yoga is brilliant. Um, and even walking is brilliant. She was saying walking doesn't count on its own. You've got to do weights. But actually walking is weight bearing exercise. So I think do what you can do that you enjoy that you will continue to do. And that's more important than exactly what you're doing. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that we have such a balance between helping ourselves with our daily lifestyle changes and nuggets and how you call them microdosing and the combination of tapping into very precise medical solutions. And that can become our real sort of toolbox, can't it? And together that approach we can feel amazing because you feel amazing. And there are many people that I know feel amazing, but we've got to put that sort of toolbox together for us with the knowledge and by you sharing it, it's just wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. But you know, these things, I, I preach these things to my patients who are on HRT every day, because I see many women who are on HRT, who are struggling with all of the same symptoms so it's not like HRT is the, the, the solution that is missing, is a missing link. HRT can be very helpful. And, you know, obviously in certain situations, like younger women who haven't had estrogen positive breast cancer, it's, it's protective for, for blood vessels and bone health and things. But actually, the, it, it, it has to be used in addition to lifestyle. Otherwise, you won't get all the benefits. So mm -hmm. and for me, I've, I've used the lifestyle and... I may not have done that <laughs> as well as I have if I haven't gone through what I've gone through. So in some ways, maybe it was, you know, these things, you just have to accept what happens to you in life, don't you, and embrace it. And yeah. Yeah. And I like that because people often talk about mindset and you have to change your mindset because up until two years ago, talking about the menopause was very poo-pooed. It was very taboo. Even my girls said to me when they go to the toilet in school with their sanitary towels, they sort of still hide them in their hands, which is crazy, isn't it? So there yeah, is still yeah. stigma around all of this, but we have come a long way. Yeah. But I think the more we can also share that menopause after cancer can also be managed in a positive way with positive outcomes, the better for so many of us, because sadly, more of us have cancers, but more of us survive it as well. And it's how we survive. And we want to really enjoy the days, don't we? Because no one knows what's going to happen. No one knows. Cancer or not. And there's, you know, there's so much to enjoy in life if you can get your health back on track. But actually being energized is the lifestyle that makes that makes you energized. And, you know, that is what you can then go out and see your friends and do lots of fun things. And I love to travel, but obviously that's been out of the window for a while. <laughs> but we've got lots of things to look forward to. And you know, not everyone has kids, but, you know, I've got kids. And as the kids get older, you can start to kind of do all the things you want to do again. And, and it's just I, I mean, I, I say menopause is a great opportunity to do the things you want to do, to learn new skills, to, you know, to travel, to do, I don't know, to learn to cook, to do all the good things that are fun. And so we shouldn't be sort of thinking, oh, you know, when you go into menopause, you can't do anything anymore. It's it's an exciting time as far as I'm concerned. I'm looking forward to the next few years and you know I want to keep myself healthy I use my lifestyle prescriptively I, I call it like you know I say it's like my prescription of exercise my prescription of healthy lifestyle approaches and you know that's that's what works and and it, it works it works for my patients and I see it again and again you know women who have tried different things and and they haven't really been attending to lifestyle and then they then they do that and it's like magic, actually. It doesn't work overnight, but it really works long term. And whether anyone listening to this can quite believe it now that menopause is an opportunity, because when I, well, if you had said that to me years ago, I would have thought, oh, I just, what is she talking about? Yeah, but whether yeah. people believe it or not, you are infectious. Knowledge <laughs> <laughs> is fantastic, and that's one thing, but you are infectious. And I just hope everyone takes a little bit of that away with them and uh, and make and create their own menopause experience so thank you for sharing oh you're welcome I know I mean I think I annoy people by saying menopause is no 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 I really keep no. saying it and I want it to be and I believe it is <laughs> hey 
Wow, I don't know about you, but I've come away chatting to Anis with renewed enthusiasm. I just love everything that she's about. But I also understand that you might walk away from this conversation and you might think, gosh, I still don't know what to do. I've got all these symptoms and I don't know who to ask for help, what my options are, or who is the right person to speak to. And I want to reassure you that this is absolutely okay. You can't have everything figured out all the time. It's absolutely normal. And so in the following episode, week by week, we're going to revisit many of the things Anis has spoken about. Different experts are going to help us understand different things. We will even have sessions on helping you navigate your healthcare within the medical system. So if you're feeling confused right now, don't worry. We're going to dig much deeper in the upcoming weeks. But for now, I need to ask you for your help. Can you please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast? I'll tell you why. Much of my work is in lots of different pockets. I run a charity project for a great charity called Trackstock. I have private clients. I run Facebook groups. I post stuff on social media. And so everything is in different places. And I want to bring all the information, the amazing experts, that I'm talking to week by week have got to share into this home. And this is this podcast, Menopause and Cancer. So if you rate, review and subscribe to the podcast, it'll help other people find the information if they really need it. Thank you so, so much. I know for the right person listening to this, all the information we're going to share can become absolutely transformative in helping them and you have a better, more educated and more informed menopause experience. And next week on the podcast, I'm going to be talking to the most amazing woman. I love her so much. We're going to talk about what we can do and how does it feel when we don't like our new us, the new version, the post-cancer in menopause version, and how do we navigate all of that? I can't wait to see you on the podcast then. Mm -hmm.